I'd like to welcome all of you to the adult meeting at St. Paul's. Uh, this is our uh, sixth uh, edition on the liturgy, so we've been following a long series on the liturgy. Uh, I will share my screen with you and we can start. Um, so this is the uh, a talk on the liturgy and the priesthood. And as you can see, we've had several different talks uh, about the liturgy so far. We've talked about the institution, we've talked about the history, the theology, the spirituality, the link to the Old Testament. Uh, and today the idea is to talk about the priesthood uh, and sort of the relevance of what the priesthood has. Uh, you know, why we study the liturgy is always an important um, aspect or anything spiritual. And, it, and the answer is always it allows me to fully participate uh, with my whole being. So even though it's a spiritual thing, um, by, by studying it, I, I get to participate uh, in something spiritual intellectually. And that adds to the experience. And in the case of the priesthood, uh, this lesson is going to talk today about the priesthood. We'll have some upon some pictures and we'll see, uh, uh, you know, uh, how the priesthood plays a role in the Eucharist and how important it is. Um, so the, the verse that I just going to uh, summarize from last time, do this in remembrance of me. And we said that the word remembrance, again, is the word anamnesis, uh, which means amnesia, which is the opposite of amnesia. So if amnesia is remembering your past and your present, um, anamnesia, anamnesis is, rem is forgetting your past and your present, Anamnesis is remembering your past and your present. So the liturgy isn't about remembering something that happened, but it is remembering something that happened not in the past, but in the present as well. So the, 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 the Last Supper wasn't an event we remember, but it's an event we live in and, and, and thrive in. So you can see in this icon here that, that uh, the Last Supper, whenever we depict the Last Supper, we depict you at the Last Supper. So where are you in this icon? You're always at the table. So it's not like we think the Last Supper is, a, is an event that happened in the past and that we're re-performing it or, re, or, or replaying what happened and pretending like it happened or, or doing a memorial of what happened, but rather we are at the Last Supper and that Abuna isn't the one who is offering uh, the sacrifice, but it is Christ himself and that we are participating in the Last Supper. So every time you see an icon uh, of the Last Supper, you notice that we are always sitting at the table uh, at, the, at the icon of the Last Supper, right? So it's not something that we participate uh, in lightly, but it's something in a real mystical sense, uh, a Eucharistic sense that we, we, uh, we participate in it. So I wanna talk a little bit about the, just summarizing again, the consequences of, of what happened in the West when they allowed Latin to dominate the religion and politics to dominate the, the religion. Um, and these things destroyed the life of, of the church. So the first thing we see is a split between the, the spiritual and the liturgical life, right? That there's, you know, I have my own spiritual life and then I just sort of attend the liturgy and the liturgy isn't part of my spiritual life. Uh, these are all the things that have happened that I'm gonna list out. Uh, these are things that happened in the West um, and that really hurt the Catholic church during the dark ages. Um, and, and, and God forbid that they happen in our church. And, and I point them out because a lot of them are gonna sound very familiar. Um, it was the, very common in the, in the West to not understand the liturgy, that it was something that we just perform and just do and follow the book and follow the rituals. Again, something we see often uh, in the church, we can go into the church and find that no one knows what's going on. Uh, and this is super dangerous. Uh, that, that no one understands what's happening. It's like, I just kind of go and I stand there until it's communion time or the service is over. And because of this, you have this widening gulf between the clergy and the laity, right? And we've talked a lot about how 
the, the laity are co-celebrants with the, with the clergy. We don't have this big gulf between the clergy and the laity uh, as, as found in, in, in the Catholic Church. But if, if, if it becomes this idea of, of well, you know, the, the clergy know all these things and we don't know anything and the clergy know all the, the secret, you know, rituals and all this tough stuff that we just don't understand. When this gulf starts getting too big, right, it's a very dangerous thing for the church because the church has to be the body, the body united together. And this ultimately gave birth to Protestantism. You know, if, if everyone's standing around and no one knows what's going on and no, no, no one knows what's happening, eventually someone's going to say, hey, why can't I just worship Jesus? Why, why, are we, why are we make this so complicated? Why is this structure so, you know, obtuse and hard to understand and only the priests seem to know it and, and a few special people? I, I just want to pray to God. And why can't I do that? And you know what? There's a point there, right? I mean, once, once we've created all these obstacles uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, for the laity, uh, it becomes very difficult. And so you see this across this, this spectrum, if you will, Catholicism over here, that's very ritualistic and focuses on the body and doesn't have much in, in a spiritual life. This was during the Dark Ages. And Protestantism reacting to it on the other side and saying, you know what? It's all about the spirit. Forget the rituals. Let's think about the meanings and, and the prayers and all of these things. And so what happens is, is when you have one extreme, extremes create extremes, right? You see this in today's political environment quite, uh, quite easily, right? Every time there's an extreme, another counter extreme uh, is created. And, and sometimes we think that the way for balance is to, to correct what's wrong by going too far on the other side, but it isn't. The way for balance is always to just stay on the middle path uh, and, and hope that, that people follow. Orthodoxy has always been in that middle path. Catholicism went one way, Protestantism reacted uh, in a different way uh, to it. So this is the story of, of, of mankind and, and kind of a summary of the, of the lesson on, on theology. So God creates man in his image and then man sins. And when he does, he separates himself from God. So before he lived in harmony with God, he lived in the, in the paradise of joy. And if you had to pick a word, the word would be communion, right? Adam lived in communion with God. He spoke with God and, and God gave him power to name the animals. And there was a love there between them. But then man sins and gets expelled. And so now God starts preparing the, the path for the, for the recovery. He sends us the prophets and Moses and the law, and he teaches us that something's going to happen, that I'm going to reconcile the situation. And he does. Christ takes the form of man, and he becomes man. Okay? And so what he does is he inherits, and he, 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 he takes in us all the corruption that entered into the world, and he destroys it with his own, with his own death. And we ultimately just, our job is to be united with this Christ, right? United with Christ. And then he takes us back up to the Father. And he says, they're with me, right? I've adopted them. And so all the, all the inheritance that was for the Son now becomes our inheritance. And all the, 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 the relationship with the Father that the Son has now becomes our relationship. And, and how do we unite ourselves with Christ? You know, Christ said, uh, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And so this is how we abide, if you will, in the tree of life, right? And we become a branch in the tree of life. We, we take communion and the communion pulses through our body and becomes the life of Christ that pulses through us and gives us life and regenerates our, our spiritual lives. So we become united with him and then we are presented to him, uh, presented to the Father as this, this beautiful blameless sacrifice, right? That we are sanctified in Christ and that he takes on our sin and he dies for our sin, and all that's left is our, 
um, our presentation to, to God the Father. So why do we have a priesthood? Um, it, it, the, 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 when we look at the story of the five loaves of the two fish, we see something interesting. Christ doesn't just feed the people. He says, I'm going to give to the apostles and the apostles are going to give to the people. Right, so I have a blessing that I want to give. I want to give out this, this in this case, uh, an earthly material blessing of food. But I, I want to do it through the apostles. Right, I want them to, to distribute what, what my bounty is. And the idea isn't so much that they're ahead of everybody else, or they're better than everybody else. But rather, they were called to this service. This is their service. And it's a blessing for them for this service. Right? In fact, uh, you know, God forbid that they ever become arrogant, that they were the ones who gave everybody the food. In fact, they are the most humbled by this miracle, right? because they got to see it up close. Right? Everyone else, they just got to eat you know, bread and fish. Right? But the apostles didn't. The apostles got to see the miracle. Right? So the priesthood is this calling right? where God says, I'm going to use you and I'm going to let you see the miracles. I'm going to let you see what I do. And you're going to be my hands. You're going to distribute my blessing to the people, right? Not because by any stretch, God forbid, that you're better than them, right? But I'm going to allow you to have this blessing. This is going to be your duty uh, in the world, right? You're uh, you're part of the the body of Christ, and these are the these are the cells, and these particular cells they have this duty. You're the hands uh, of Christ. Right? So we see this thinking, uh, you know, very early on, and then when Christ comes back after the resurrection. And he walks through the door, and they're all gathered in the upper room, scared. And he says to them in John 20, he says, He whoever sins you forgive are forgiven, and whosoever sins you retain are retained. And he blew in their face. He gave them the Holy Spirit. We call this, this is the power to loose and bind on heaven. We call this absolution. Right? So he gave them this power of the Holy Spirit. Right? And he, he called them to a specific thing. And he says, I'm going to give you a unique power not given to the others. Right? Because you're called to this service. Right? And they continued doing this. Right? In fact, once Judas fell, they appointed another in his place. So it was clear that they got it, that they got the fact that there's supposed to be a succession here. There's supposed to be a continuation here of, of this, apostolic, um, this apostolic mission. And then they continued, when the service got too big, they appointed deacons. Right? And if you remember in the book of Acts, it talks about that the deacons were there to serve the people, to weigh the tables. Right? And, what, and this is a very important ministry. Right? This is the service of others. And the apostles were busy preaching and teaching and doing all of these the, the, the big things. And the, the, someone had to help all the people, all the orphans and all the widows and all the, all the people who couldn't help themselves and who, would, and who needed food and needed help. Right? And this is what the, the, the deacons did. Right? So we, we have this, this, this idea of a succession that I'm going to talk about here in a bit. You know, St. Ignatius, this is back in 69 AD. So this is you know, just a few 30 years or so after Christ's um, ascension. He says, be eager to do everything in God's harmony with the bishop presiding, presiding in the place of God and the presbytery, which is the priesthood, in the place of the council of the apostles and deacons entrusted with the service of Jesus Christ. And he continues, for apart from these, no group can be called a church. So here we see something very interesting. I mean, every once in a while you hear, you know, someone Protestant will say, well, you know, this priesthood thing is all made up and it's new and it's an invention and it, it came to the church later. Uh, and, 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 and that's frankly just not true, right? So you see as early as 69 AD, you know, 
that the St. Ignatius is talking about the three ranks, and these are the three ranks that are in the Bible, bishop, presbyter, and deacon, bishop, priest, and deacon. And he's talking about how all three of them are very important. And apart from these, no group can even be called a church, right? So it's very clear that this is not something new and invented and foreign to the church, but rather something that's part of her lifeblood uh, right from the very beginning uh, of the church. St. Clement, a few years, uh, another 30 years later or so, says, God the Father sent our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent the apostles who established the leadership of the churches. Right? So again, you see this idea of God the Father sent our Lord, who sent the apostles, right? And the apostles established the leadership, right? So this, this idea of a succession that happens. I send my son, my son appoints, those who appoint, appoint. And this is God's way of saying, I want you to be a part of the service. I want you, I, I want to give you this blessing. I'm going to bless through material things, right? And we, 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 we think about this when we, we think of how God blesses. He blesses through something material. He blesses through bread and wine. He blesses through oil. We, and the church, we bless through water. And yes, we even bless through humans, right? And God uses the human body to bless, right? And to give his, his work and his blessing to others. Again, a few years later, St. Irenaeus and St. Ernest, by the way, was the disciple of Polycarp, St. Polycarp, who's the disciple of St. John the Beloved. Uh, and St. Polycarp is actually mentioned in the book of Revelation. So again, you see this direct succession, right? St. John the Apostle appointed St. Polycarp, who appointed St. Irenaeus, right? And you see this, this movement um, going down. He says, the apostles committed the church to the bishops, and they are the repositors of the true apostolic faith and tradition. So the bishop was, was huge back then. And in fact, the bishop, uh, you know, during the age of persecution, the bishop was always ordained on a, on a particular city. And when, 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 the, when, the, when the Romans wanted to, to you know, eliminate Christianity, the first thing they would do is try to kill the bishop, right? So the bishop knew when he was ordained a bishop that he was pretty much being ordained a bishop and a martyr at the same time, because they knew that the first person they'd go after was the bishop, right? And so you see that they're really the repositors of the true uh, apostolic faith and tradition. So the three ranks in the, in the priesthood are the bishop, the priest, and the deacon. Um, and this is the bit from the biblical text, and this is in the Orthodox Church has always been the case. Uh, you know, if you look in the Catholic Church, they have different ranks, even a cardinal and a pope. A pope is actually ecclesiastically a different rank in the Catholic Church. We don't have that in the Orthodox Church. We do only have three ranks. Now within those ranks, there's little categories, but within within each rank it's all the same so and i'll talk about this in a little bit but like even like the patriarch is the same as any as a bishop ecclesiastically they're the same rank um even though you know the patriarch is the patriarch so we'll talk about some of the characteristics of the bishop uh the first thing is he's not married uh and this was this started in the council of nicaea uh, of course you know peter the apostle was married you know we, we hear about christ uh healing his mother-in-law and 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 the bishops in the early church were married but at the Council of Nicaea in the year 325 AD, they decided that the ultimately, um, it's, it's not that they forbade uh, bishops from becoming, from being married, because obviously bishops were married in the past, but rather they decided, let's choose the bishops from the monks, from people who have already chosen to live a celibate life. Uh, and the reason they did this is because the bishop has to do a lot of work and he's traveling and so they didn't want the bishop to be encumbered by family and kids and really allow him to commit his whole life to Christ. And so they decided let's pick someone who's already committed his whole life to Christ and choose from among uh, the monks. 
And the bishop is ordained by three other bishops. So you need three bishops. Usually one of them should be the patriarch. Um, it doesn't have to be the case, but one of them should be. Uh, and they lay hands on his shoulders. It's the way they ordain uh, a bishop um, because they've already laid hands on his head when they ordain him as a priest. And so they ordain him as a, as a, a bishop by laying hands on his shoulders. Um, they can perform all of the sacraments, so including laying of hands. So the, the one thing that distinguishes the bishop from a priest is the bishop can ordain other people, right? He can ordain bishops, there's three of them. He can ordain a priest, he can ordain deacons. And so that's, the, that's really the main distinction between the priest and the, and the bishop is that he has this extra, um, uh, you know, uh, the ability to perform this, this particular sacrament, right? And, and one of the, the, the characteristics of a bishop is that he is um, uh, only a, a bishop on one diocese, right? So the bishop, when he's ordained on a diocese, it's like he's married to the diocese and there is no separation between the two. Um, there is never, there's never a, a time when a bishop leaves a diocese and goes on to something else. So, for example, when we, when we go to pick a patriarch, we don't want to pick a patriarch from a diocese bishop, right? Because that, he's not allowed to leave his diocese. Even if he becomes incapacitated in his diocese, you know, he's, he's physically or mentally unable, they'll send another bishop to help him out, right? And to kind of run things in the diocese, but they won't get rid of him. Right. It's kind of like saying, you know, well, you know, my wife's really old and I, I don't want to be married to her anymore. Get me someone else. Right. So even if the people of the diocese say our bishop's old and he's he's lost his mind, uh, they don't replace him. Right. Because they because it's it's like it's like divorce at that point. Right. So the bishop and the diocese are married forever. Um, and his ordination takes place after the book of Acts, which has a nice symbolic meaning because the book of Acts, as you know, doesn't have an ending, right? So, so most epistles, all epistles, when you read them, they'll say, you know, grace of God, the father be with all of you, amen, or something along those lines. Uh, the book of Acts doesn't, it just stops, right? And it's as if the, the Acts of the apostles hasn't stopped. It just kind of continues on and on. And so the, 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 the ordination of the bishop is after the book of Acts, as if he's the continuation uh, of the book of Acts. Uh, when a bishop is ordained, he fasts for a whole year um, as part of his preparation. As you know, a priest will fast for 40 days, but a bishop will fast for a whole year. Uh, he gives communion to a priest. These are little things, but he gives communion to the priest with his hand. Uh, if you notice, when a priest gives communion to another priest, he puts it on the spoon. And the reason is they're the same rank. So it, it isn't really appropriate for a priest to give communion to another priest. It's a sort of like, um, you know, it's a little bit beneath him. So as a respect to the fact that they're brothers in the same level, he will actually put it on the spoon and the priest will give himself communion so that Abuna doesn't give Abuna communion. Okay? But the bishop, when he gives a priest communion, if you notice when a bishop comes to the church, he'll actually give Abuna communion in his, in his mouth directly from his, from his hand. And it's interesting that he's responsible for all people within his diocese. It says parish here, but it's, it should be diocese. And so the way it works you know, historically is there's only one bishop per city. And, you know, now, of course, we have so many different, uh, you know, there's a Catholic and then a Greek and a Russian and a Coptic. So we have lots of bishops in Los Angeles, but there's only supposed to be one bishop per city. And that bishop is supposed to be in charge of everyone in the city, Christian, non-Christian, everyone is his responsibility. His job is to worry about the spiritual life of all of these, these people. Um, and like I said before, he's married to this diocese uh, and, and, and permanently married. So there's different categories of the bishop. The first one is the patriarch. Uh, sometimes we call him the pope. You know, pope is kind of a Catholic term, 
but the patriarch means, means the, 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 the father of fathers, and that's the, the appropriate term. And we choose him from among the monks. Again, we don't choose him, from, we don't choose him as a bishop because um, if he's a bishop already, that means he's in a diocese. And we can't pull him out of a diocese to make him the patriarch. So, because the patriarch is technically, his diocese is the city of Alexandria. And so we can't remove him from his diocese and put him in the, in the diocese of Alexandria, right? Because that's like divorce. So we pick him from among the monks. Uh, in the case of Emba, Emba Tawedros, our current patriarch, he actually um, was not a bishop of a diocese. He was a horipiscopus and he was in a diocese, but he wasn't the bishop of that diocese. Um, and Emba Shnuda, the, the patriarch before him, was a general bishop. He was the bishop of education. So he didn't actually have a particular diocese. And so that's why, and the Pope before him was Pope Carlos VI, who was a monk. So um, this is why uh, you know, we pick from among the monks. And, and it's a nice tradition in the, in the church is, is, is when you pick among a monk that you have to actually chain the monk. And, and part of the ordination is he comes to the ordination chained, right? Because the monks so don't want to become bishops, right? They, that they, they want to flee. I mean, they just want to live their life with God. They don't want to, the administration, the hassle and, and all of the stuff. So they did actually, as soon as they picked them, they would immediately chain them down because they knew they would try to flee. Um, and he's the political head of the church. So if we have to pick someone to represent the Coptic church, it's going to be Embetoedros. He's the face of the church. And he's also the chair of the Holy Synod, which is the council of all the bishops uh, in the church. Uh, having said that, he is still one vote in the Holy Synod, right? And, um, you know, he's, he's a very powerful vote, and I think he's the political head, and people look to him for leadership. But he is still one vote in the Synod. Um, and ecclesiastically, again, he's a bishop. And so this is obviously uh, Ambatoedros um, on, his, on his throne. I think this was the day he was uh, actually ordained. Um, and God give him long life. He's had so many challenges since he's become uh, ordained that it's uh, difficult, to, difficult uh, and pray for him. Uh, the Metropolitan is also a bishop, but they, he's now a bishop of a large city. Um, and so... Ultimately, this is Emba Sarapion when he was elevated to a metropolitan. This is Emba Tawedros elevating him to metropolitan. He had already been a bishop of Los Angeles for a very long time. And it's one of these things that uh, we do at, at, uh, at some point uh, in the life of a bishop. Not all bishops get become metropolitans, but the ones who have a very large diocese. It's just kind of a nice honor uh, and maybe acknowledgement for doing a really good job, which obviously Emba Sarapion has uh, here in Los Angeles. And then the bishop of a regular city, uh, here we have a picture of all our bishops in Los Angeles. Uh, this is Emba Carillos, this is Emba Abraham, and this is Emba Soriel. Uh, and this is all the ordination of uh, our beloved Abuna Michael Maximus when he got ordained uh, in, as a priest uh, in San Diego. So we have three bishops in our diocese and Emba Sarapi, who's a metropolitan. So now we'll talk about the priesthood. Uh, some of the characteristics of the priest is um, he performs all of the, the mysteries, all of the sacraments, except laying of hands, right? So we said the bishop is the only one who can ordain, uh, the priest cannot. And so ultimately the priest is, if you will, the, the hands of the bishop, right? So the bishop is in charge of the diocese and he, he, he uh, uh, appoints priests, he, he ordains priests as his hands, right? So obviously a priest can go, a bishop can go to all of the churches and help all the people. So the priests become extensions of him. And so the priest actually serves under the bishop. He is, he is uh, a representative of the bishop at all times, right? And at any point in time, the bishop can tell the priest, okay, you have to stop or you go here or you go this. And, and the priest just does, right? He is literally 
hands of the bishop. He's the extension of the bishop. Uh, he's ordained in the liturgy after the prayer of reconciliation. He can be ordained by one bishop. Uh, it usually should be the diocesan bishop. He should be at least there, but uh, only takes one bishop to ordain a priest. Uh, he's ordained by blowing in the face, like we talked about the Gospel of John, chapter 20, when Christ blew in the face of the uh, apostles and gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. The, the priest is also uh, blown in the face, and these are some small things, but he takes communion on the spoon, again, from another priest, um, but from the hand of the bishop. He can't ordain anyone. Better he said that. Uh, he fasts for... Uh, he fasts for 40 days after ordination. As you all know, he goes to the monastery for 40 days. And the primary purpose of going to the monastery, it's obviously a time of spiritual reflection, but it's mostly to learn the liturgy, right? And so this is what we hand them, uh, if you will, the Eucharist. We hand them the liturgy, right? And we, and we teach the priests how all the secret prayers and all the prayers of the liturgy so that they understand what they're, what they're doing. And the priest must be married. Um, uh, this is an important thing that we have in our church that differentiates us a little bit from the, the, the Catholic Church that, that stopped marrying off priests. But our idea is the priest has to, ha has to have to understand the family um, because the priest serves in the world and he, he serves in families and he serves in very tight places and very bad situations. And it's nice to have experience. It's nice to have been married and have children and understand these things, you know, and, you know, when, when, you know, I've, I've got kids and when, when you know, so a 22-year-old comes up to me and says, let me give you some parenting advice and he doesn't have children, I'm not going to listen, right? Because, you know, ultimately, what are you going to tell me, right? You know, you, you don't even have kids, right? But when, when a 60-year-old comes up to me and says, you know, I've, I've been through this, let me tell you what I did. You know, I'm really listening, right? Because I, 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 I value that experience, right? So we want priests to have that experience of marriage and, and be in the world which is a very difficult thing to do is to live in the world, live with a family and live a very spiritual life. Um, and this is what we want our priests to be. It's a very uh, high order. So different categories of priests uh, is the, the first one is the Jorge Piscopos. He's the assistant bishop of a small village. And Jorge Piscopos literally means uh, 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 bishop of a, of a small village. And um, I put him in the category of a priest. Uh, he's not really a bishop because he can't, uh, ordain others, with except for one exception, the absaltos, which uh, we'll talk about later, is is the lowest rank of he's a chanter, uh, the lowest rank of the of the deacons, quote unquote. But he's not a priestly rank. So for this reason, I I, I include him in uh, this category. And when he gets assigned to a a diocese, he's not the bishop of the diocese; he's just an assistant to the bishop of the diocese. He also must be a monk. Uh, and he's usually ordained to assist other bishops. And then you have the Hegemen. The Hegemen is like the, the head priest at a church. So there's no real ordination here. There's just a, it's kind of an elevation, if you will, some prayers. But, you know, there are some churches with like five or six priests, right? And so if you have five or six priests, they pick one to be the head priest, right? The, the, the lead priest, and he's called the Hegemen. And then we have the word, the, the, the last, the priest, right? Which is, and the right word, I've been saying the wrong word. The right word is presbyter, right? And every time in the Bible, it says the word elder, the word that the, the Greek word that's behind that is the word presbyter. And so we have presbyteros, and that's that's what we have in our church. Priest, again, is a Latin term, it's kind of like pope. Uh, it's a term that you know we shouldn't be using, but we adopted it anyway. Right? And this is the ordination of our own Abuna Andrew, uh, when he got ordained at St. Paul's. Uh, you can see uh, three bishops uh, with their Amba Brahm, uh, an Amba Serapion, and an Amba Krolos. 
And then several other of the fathers, the priests came, and there's a Gunaprilis uh, on the side. Uh, and, and like we talked about, there's the laying of hands on the, on the priest, uh, and this is the laying of hands on the Buna Andrew when he was uh, ordained. So now we're going to talk about the, the diaconate. Uh, the first one is the, the archdeacon, and that's, that's me at my ordination, uh, smiley, beardless, beardless um, and then the suffering came, and, and he was the one who ordained me. And in our church, really, the archdeacon and the deacon are, are very, very close. And so I'll talk about both of them in a group, and then I'll tell you what the differences are. Um, both of them receive the laying of hands and, and the breath. So this is when Ambassadapion, uh, before he gave me communion, he, he said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed into my, into my face. Um, we wear the black robe because of the consecration. So we're, we're meant to be consecrated to the service. Um, you're not supposed to work. You're not supposed to do other things. Um, you should be married to one wife. And similar to a priest, uh, you cannot divorce or marry even if your other partner dies. So um, if my wife dies, I can't marry someone else. And if, if I die, she can't marry someone else. So we're, we're very, you know, wed to, wed to each other. And this is the, the same thing with the priest. Uh, we give blood during the liturgy so we can give the blood. Uh, and we're considered the eyes and ears of the bishop and the priest, right? So we're, we're supposed to bring the issues to them. And so this is the difference between the archdeacon and the deacon. Technically, there's only supposed to be one archdeacon in a diocese, right? So the archdeacon supports the bishop, and he, he is the eyes and ears of the bishop, right? And he has, in the early church, had quite a bit of power. Uh, one of the, uh, the, 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 the ritualistic books says he has the keys to the doors of the church, right? So the, the, the keys to the doors of the altar. Um, the deacon serves the priest mostly, so the deacon will serve at a parish, and so there can be lots of deacons uh, in a diocese. Each one serves with different um, priests, and again, he can be the eyes and ears of the priest. He, he weighs tables, he serves the poor, he helps orphans and widows. So the, the deacon, if you will, is kind of the, 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 the connection uh, between the church and, and the people, right? So he's out in the world a lot more. He's out serving a lot more. He's out integrating with the people a lot more, and he's bringing the big problems to the priest, right, and saying, look, this person, I'm, you know, I went and visited them, and they're having a little bit of trouble, right? And in the early church, as a matter of fact, the deacon used to carry communion to the sick and the poor and those in prison. Uh, and this is now something reserved only for priests, um, but there is, you know, there, there is talk of bringing back this very traditional role of the deacon, which is um, taking communion, not praying the, on the liturgy, but taking the communion to those in prison, to those who are sick, to those who can't make it to church. Again, he's like the extension of the priest, right? He's out into the community, he's out integrating, he's out helping, he's out serving in the community. And next we have the subdeacon, uh, that is called uh, in Coptic the Ebu Diakwe, and he's the, only, he's the only one allowed to serve in the sanctuary. Uh, that's the, uh, so is the deacon and the archdeacon, but the, the, the Ebu Diakon is allowed to serve in the sanctuary. And technically, his job is to remove animals uh, and heretics uh, from church. And he's sort of in charge of, of crowds, right? So he's kind of the muscle of the church, right? But he, he, he's, he's the one who uh, he does all these things. In our church, of course, it's Nagy. This is the day he was ordained. He was ordained the same day I was uh, as a subdeacon. Uh, and, and, and of course, it's something we all take very seriously. Uh, and you can see Nagy there is crying during the ordination. So it's, it's very beautiful to see that kind of dedication and, and seriousness taken uh, to the service in the church. And now we have several subdeacons. Um, we have five of them, all of them, you know, taking those heretics out of the church and, and beating them up outside and, and crowd control and doing all the things uh, that the subdeacons do. Uh, the next rank is the Ohonostos. 
uh, and that's a reader. Uh, and Ognosos literally comes from Gnosis, which means knowledge. And so the Ognosos is actually a pretty high rank. He's allowed to read the holy books of the church. So when, when we have someone read the Pauline or the Catholic or the Acts, we want them to be an Ognosos, right? Sometimes we have the little kids read, but no one understands them. They kind of mumble their words. And it's much nicer when we have someone who reads with understanding, right? And someone who can pause and, 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 and pronounce the words in such a way that they give meaning. Right? So technically, he's supposed to read and interpret them, which means he can give sermons. So we, it's a very high knowledge uh, that, that's required to be a Gnosis. In fact, in our diocese, we have a test that we give to Gnosis. It's the servant preparation test um, that we want them to at least have some basic knowledge of, 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 of stuff. Um, and so they're teaching others and just have to be old enough uh, to read and understand. So recently, we had a, an ordination of a few uh, subdeacons, excuse me, a few Gnosis's uh, in our church. Uh, and there they are, the day of the ordination, looking happy as ever. All right, and finally, the very last category is Absaltos. And these, Absaltos is not uh, a priestly rank. So the other ones are actually a priestly rank. The Absaltos is just a chanter. It's a blessing that's given from the church. So you put on the white tonia and you can learn the hymns. Uh, if you remember, I said the Chori Piscopos, the, the bishop of a sub of a small village, is only allowed to ordain one category and it's this one, right? He's only allowed to give this blessing of a chanter. So he doesn't actually ordain ognostasis, only uh, chanters. And this allows small children to participate, right? So this is, again, the day of the ordination. You see all the little kids coming and they put on their white deep tonias and they can just kind of sing along in the church. And this is like a blessing that the bishop gives. Uh, so they can put on the tonia and, and start to participate. Uh, it's always good times watching them. Uh, wreak havoc in the church and run around and, and play with their tunyas and, and have fun. All right, what about monks? Monks are nothing, right? So they're not a priestly rank at all. Um, and usually they're not made into priests. Uh, the, the monk should remain a monk the rest of their life. Uh, some monasteries still uphold this. If you go to like St. Macarius Monastery, for example, they, they don't ordain anyone as a priest. Uh, they only have a few priests in the church uh, who pray liturgy and everybody in, in the monastery and everyone else is a monk. Uh, and I've met these very old men who I look at them and they're wearing black and I think, hi, Abuna, and, and they're not even a priest. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm nothing. You know, in fact, I was at the monastery and about to take communion and he told me to go first. And I said, no, Abuna, you know, you, you go first. I'm just a, a deacon. And he's like, I'm not even a deacon. I'm not even a, a saltos. I'm nothing. I'm just a guy. Um, and so the, 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 the monk is not necessarily anything, right? Uh, and, you know, unfortunately now we have this tradition where everyone gets, becomes a priest, uh, but that's not the early tradition. In fact, there's an interesting story about St. Pachomius, you know, the St. Pachomius, who had five or 6,000 monks in his monastery, um, that St. Athanasius came to make him into a priest, just a priest, and St. Pachomius fled. He fled into the wilderness, right, and he did not want uh, the honor and dignity of the priesthood. Right? And so St. Athanasius, the patriarch, is sitting in his monastery and this guy just takes off, right? He goes out and, and uh, hides in the wilderness for a few weeks until, Saint, until he gets word that St. Athanasius leaves. You know, and St. Athanasius leaves and says, you know, Tubak, you know, blessed, blessed you, St. Pachomius, you, know, you, you, you fled the dignity of the clergy. And he took off, right? He realized this guy doesn't want to be a, a priest at all, right? So um, this is the monks. And the monks are chosen to be the bishops and the pope and the patriarch. Um, and like I, I don't know if I mentioned, but there's this tradition of them being bind, bound in chains um, uh, for this, for this, because they don't want it so badly. Uh, and then this is some fun. 
uh, who can, you know, see if you can name all the people in this picture. Uh, this is Emba Misail, he's a bishop. Uh, this is Abuna Polycarpus, he's a monk. And I guess this is, this is Abuna Krillus, and this is me. So this is the first time actually I met Abuna Krillus. Uh, his name was Rauf, I was Mark, I'm still Mark. Um, and uh, we were about 20 or 21 years old and we, uh, we started talking about the Paradise of the Spirit and, and uh, some you know, other books that we we're reading and we really hit it off and the rest is history. So I think that's some fun and games. Uh, thank you very much uh, for attending. God bless you all and hopefully one of these days we'll see you in uh, person <laughs> uh, in the real in a church and uh, glory be to God forever. Amen.